evening. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the April 5th, 2022 edition of Ask a Leader. The International Panel on Climate Change is giving us the final warning to button down on reversing the course of our ravenous energy consumption. No thanks to the stalling of climate mitigation members in U.S. Congress. No thanks to the undeniable disruption of the January 6th insurrection. No thanks to the horrific Russian invasion of Ukraine. Amidst these massive forces at work, we continue covering Orange County's 2022 primary starting today with Orange County Board of Supervisor Katrina Foley to talk about her campaign for re-election in her brand new Orange County Board District, the 5th District. This new one includes Costa Mesa, Newport Beach, Irvine, south of the I-405, Laguna Woods, Alisa Viejo, Laguna Hills, Laguna Niguel, San Juan Capistrano, San Clemente, and unincorporated areas to the south. So in the second segment, picking up where she left off last month, is Branda Lynn, co-founder of the Irvine Watchdog, to spell out the juncture at which business and residential electricity ratepayers are at, covered by the Orange County Power Authority. A lot of action, folks. Not so much sunshine. A lot of climate aspirations, unclear about the agency's commitment to those goals. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. My first guest, that's uh, the longer portion of the show, is Orange County Supervisor Katrina Foley, who won the vacate seat she's holding uh, in on March 2021. It's just like a, a year and a month ago. It seems like a lot longer that um, it's the second district of the Board of Supervisors. That was the district then. Now, with redistricting of the Orange County Board of Supervisors map, she's now in a primary race to fill the new approved and, and finalized by January this year, the 5th District, which includes, and I'm going to repeat them again because people pay attention because this primary is going to be here before you know it. The 5th District includes Costa Mesa, Newport Beach, Irvine, south of the I-405, Laguna Woods, Elisa Viejo, Laguna Hills, Laguna Niguel, San Juan Capistrano, San Clemente. And I'm going to button down that part, that unincorporated area bounded on the north, essentially, this is my shorthand for it, Antonio Parkway, Oso Parkway, Ortega Highway, and on the south by the San Diego County line. I am want to say, and my stand refrain is the reach of this Board of Supervisors office extends throughout the county of 3.3 and growing million constituents today is a timely go at the important process. Well, we, we talked about, that's when she was last on, about the, the mapping. So today we're going to hone in on her campaign in this capacity. As the incumbent, Katrina Foley has served as a watchdog over no-bid contracts and has returned over $8 million in property taxes to Orange County homeowners. Supervisor Foley has previously served on the Costa Mesa City Council, 
as council member and mayor for 14 years, as well as one four-year term on the Newport Mesa Unified School District. She's president of her law practice, the Foley Group, dealing in contract negotiations for artists and athletes, civil business and employment litigation and nonprofit compliance matters. That means she does not sleep, I don't think. <laughs> so, and this, I mean, there's so many other things going on. I, I mean, I just checked out the the campaign website, building a dwelling and on her property for extended family members. I don't get where she ever gets sleep. So she currently serves on the county group Home Sober Living and Airport Ad Hoc Committees, Fly Friendly Working Group, and numerous other boards, including the Orange County Transportation Authority, Cal Optima, Juvenile Justice Coordinating Council, Law Library, Newport Bay and South Orange County Watershed Management Area Executive Committee and Santa Ana River Flood Control Protection Agency. These are things that you don't think about, folks, and you're glad they're there when catastrophic things take place. She comes today from, are, are you at your home or your office or your home office in Costa Mesa? I'm actually in Irvine at my in-laws' home above the UCI campus. Okay, well, there you are. There you have it. So it's probably in Union So, well, welcome back to Ask a Leaner. Supervisor Katrina Foley. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to be on your program and educate the community about everything we're working on and make answer all the questions. So, well, it's a I'm light, ready to go. It's a lightning round to cover everything, but first, I really want to get at the maps that were settled just this at the very very beginning of this year. The new areas. Does this Katrina Foley take this? It, does it take up a fair amount of bandwidth, given that reasonably seasoned habitual voters are not yet clear about which districts they reside in, therefore not to mention who their candidates are? Is that part of your campaign work? Well, of course. You know, uh, 80% of my district was taken away, and now I'm given a completely different district. The only two remaining cities are Costa Mesa, which is my home where I have my business, and where I've served for more than 20 years, and then Newport Beach, where I've served also for an extended period of time as a Newport Mesa school board member and now supervisor for the last year. So let's have you talk about um, the, the case you're making that local government offices warrant our attention. Because uh, we are talking about a seriously crowded bandwidth of monumental developments happening from here, 700 to 70,000 feet and above. So how, mm-hmm. take, how are you making the case that local government matters? Well, look, let's take it in part. So right now we're focused on the primary. The primary is ending on June 7th. Ballots drop May 9th. You'll get your ballot in the mail sometime May 10th, 11th, or 12th. And so the primary is really key for races that are county-specific races, races like mine, races like the county department of uh, the Board of Education, uh, the uh, assessor, the district attorney, and judges. So the, the primary is really key because, for me, if I can win 50% of the vote plus one voter in the primary by June 7th, then I don't have to go to the fall runoff where we're competing with all the congressional races and the local city and school district races, et cetera. So we're trying to win 50% of the vote plus one vote in the primary. 
Why is it important to pay attention to the county supervisor race, which, by the way, is going to be way down on your ballot. So please keep going all the way down. The reason it should be higher up, frankly, because it we should be. That's have an $8 billion, nearly $8 billion budget. We're responsible for the entire county's safety net for social services, middle health care, homelessness, public health, environmental health, protecting our beaches, our coastline, our um, harbors, making sure that our flood channel systems work, the airport, our judicial system, and much more. So actually, we have a lot more impact on your daily lives than anybody from the president down to Congress. But of course, everyone gets excited about those races, and they tend to not vote in the primary. So we need to encourage people. These votes now are critical to your daily lives, more critical than anything. And I'm, and so it must be tricky being a candidate for a district that doesn't quite, it's, it's a whole different configuration than where you are the incumbent. And I remember back with the Board of Supervisor meeting when the redistricting was just I think it was partially underway, and you asked, I think, the general counsel for the county whether you would be able to put incumbent to have that printed on the primary ballot. So how are you dealing with the confusion of your incumbent of District 2, but you're running in the 5th? How do you deal with all that in Fast Stroke? Oh, it's very easy. My ballot designation is Orange County Supervisor slash businesswoman, because that's what I am. I'm the incumbent supervisor, and I own a small business. So the, um, the ballot statement itself includes um, the fact that I am the current sitting incumbent supervisor. Um, so the, the county uh, map system, I don't want to get bogged down or confuse people even further, Everyone will know that I am running in their district because we have thousands of people out walking door to door across the district. Mail will go out. The ballots will say that. So people will know. Um, if they didn't know now, they'll know soon. So for those you know, that- we're only 30, what are we, 34 days before the ballots drop. Right. And I'm going to remind people because I am Katrina Foley covering local races because they're not, they're, people just aren't, they're not watching them yet. And so, right. um, and, and the importance of doing this too is because, as where, where we uh, reside, is that it was decided, our county board of supervisor incumbent was decided as a general election in the primary because he garnered 50% plus more votes. So that's why we've got to pay attention. The primary right. in June could be the general for many county jobs. In fact, the, well, the primary is over. The sheriff is running on a post. So there's a lot going on there. So yeah. for those of you who just joined me, my guest is Orange County Board of Supervisor Katrina Foley, serving in the 2nd District and running in the 5th District. And I'm not going to keep mentioning all those places. Other candidates... Yeah, run- just say county supervisor. That's what I've said. County it's too confusing. No, uh, well, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm geeking out with you here. Other candidates <laughs> that are running for the position are Diane Harkey, Kevin Muldoon, and Pat Bates, all of whom I'm extending the invitation to appear on this show. The primary, as I said, could become the general. So at a recent University Hills come together, you talked about 
the executive director of the Orange County Office of Independent Review, Sergio Perez, overlooking the Orange County Sheriff's Department, the Probation Department, Office of District Attorney, the Public Defender, and Social Service Agencies. And you've made more funds have been available to support his expanding staff. Is that an initiative that you take responsibility for? Um, well, we all get credit for that. <laughs> um, uh, we we all voted for that, and it was part of our our budget uh, process in terms of what vacancies needed to be filled. And frankly, uh, Sergio was the one that requested the extra help because. The, the work was so great, and so um, we we gave it to him. And what I can take credit for, I guess, is that there was a bit of a delay in allowing him to make the hires for some reason. There were a couple of board members, and no one would tell me who it was, but there were a few board members, I guess, that were inappropriately, in my opinion, directing that the positions be held and so I learned about that, contacted the, um, the CEO and said, we voted on this. If these positions are going to be held, it needs to come back for a vote of the full board. You can't take direction from two people. So the positions got filled, and those uh, new hires should come on, two new attorneys in, within the next few weeks. Well, that is for that provides a tremendous pivot a seg more than a pivot to holding funds. And I've been at a number of press events where there are initiatives dealing with public health and many other services. The nonprofits are swirling around those press events, Katrina Foley. And I'm talking with them about how does it work? You all have a job to do, and you're watching mountains of funds, millions and millions of dollars, I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars that the county refuses to, to the Board of Supervisors to put to start spending. And they are, they're like wounded persons, wounded children, that they're, they're really, they're rather diffidently trying not to make it an issue, not to sort of undermine their relationship with leadership in the county board of supervisors but they've got work to do but the money is stalled just like you were saying two board members were putting hold on what the office of the independent review could do so i'd like for you to talk about that as we seg into what the be well oc prospects are going to be so how are you working on the board to start moving those millions of dollars to get more work done which needs to be done Okay, well, let's take that in three parts. So I'm going to take it in the first part being what, uh, how much we're spending on homelessness, mental health and addiction treatment services in contracts with nonprofits and other service organizations. One, two, ARPA, the American Rescue Plan funds, and what we're doing with that. And then number three, be well. So number one, it's actually, when I came on board a year ago, I had that belief as well, that they weren't spending any money, right? Well, I, at the, um, with the help of Betty Yee, our state controller for California, she gave me a list of names of credible auditors that I could hire using my discretionary funds from my office. These are funds that other board members might use to send out a notice about a community coffee or something. So I used the funds. And I 
uh, hired an auditing firm. Moss Adams is the name of the firm. And we did an inventory of all of the funds that are being allocated to homelessness, mental health, and addiction treatment services. And to my surprise, $1.8 billion, with a B, dollars. $1.8 billion allocated to those services. So why do we still have nonprofits thinking that there's no money being allocated? In all likelihood is because it's the same uh, group always getting all the contracts. Lots of no-bid contracts, lots of sole-source contracts. In some instances, it's legitimate because they're running a shelter, for example. And they, you know, they're there and they're still running the shelter. In other instances, it's a waste of money. There's no need for some of these services, and they aren't directly impacting people who need help. And so we're hosting a hearing on these issues on April 20th, and it'll be held at the Hall of Administration in the chambers. And we have three different panels. One of them is the cost of uh, and, and what are some recommendations that we are going to be making. So that's one issue. Number two, as it relates to the American Rescue Plan funds, we received the funds in two tranches, $687 million. The first tranche came in. 307 million, something like that. And we allocated those funds. We did a 240 million went to revenue loss, which means basically the, the county lost money during the pandemic. We're going to replace that fund. And then the board can decide how they want to allocate those funds. We allocated some of them to uh, technology that needed to be implemented regarding now everybody's telecommuting, et cetera. We allocated to testing and vaccine. We allocated to the Be Well campus, which I'll talk about in a minute. Yes. We allocated to uh, a behavioral treatment component in the, in the jail. We allocated to a whole variety of things, senior services, iPads, um, arts grants for those that were impacted, um, like venues as well as artists, musicians, et cetera, businesses that relate to art. Um, and then we also allocated $2 million to food insecurity, $2 million per district, so $10 million total. And then um, we gave some money to the Second Harvest Food Bank. And now we're looking at how do we allocate the next tranche. If we get it, there is word coming down that we might not get the funds. Well, so I've been on the phone with our congressional delegation to figure out what's going on there. But if we get it, we've asked the community for input. We haven't decided how we're doing it yet. So how does that yeah. work that, that that second distribution of the ARPA funds has not come to the county? Where Where's the holdup? Well, so, so some uh, states received their funds and their counties received their funds or their cities in one lump sum. In, and so we received as a county our funds in two different tranches. So we got the first tranche. The second tranche was supposed to... Uh, be given in May of 2022. But in Congress, there is a big debate about the Build Back Better plan and about the rescue plan funds and about the COVID funds. So there's all this haggling going on in the Congress, which may impact our ability to receive that second tranche. Now, I think that would be a terrible mistake by the Congress 
to not allow counties and states to receive their second tranche of funds because those funds have been planned mostly, mostly for things that are revenue replacement, being able to staff back up. We lost so many employees. We're at uh, 1,900 vacancies in the county oh of Orange. Yeah. So we needed those funds to be able to continue with vaccine treatments and um, vaccine treatment and testing. We needed those funds for just bridging the gap when everything was closed down. So that's that's something that our office is on. I've been talking directly to our congressional delegation and trying to get them to um, help us to make sure we get those funds. Now, a portion of those funds, $40 million, supposed to go to the Be Well Center for the Irvine campus. Now, the Irvine campus is um, uh, going to be a lot bigger than the Orange campus. I had the privilege of hosting Secretary Becerra right. uh, when he came. Last and month. Mm-hmm. we were able to showcase what a model um, program it is, sobering station, residential, as well as outpatient mental health crisis uh, intervention and addiction treatment services from professional medical providers and low impact around the community as well as you know, just a, a very quality environment. So we want to replicate that, only take it up a notch at, in Irvine at the Great Park um, where we can build bigger because the county has a large size piece of land there and we can include, you know, recreational components, uh, garden, some workforce development components as well. Um, and it's a, it's a one, you know, you've heard me talk about over the years, the impact of suburban living homes and the unscrupulous operators on our communities. This is an alternative that would actually help people not just profit off of their pain. Well, I just want, you mentioned that the second tranche would have been, or a portion of it would have been released. You said, uh, it said May of 2022. That's in the future. Did you mean that? It Correct. May tw- okay, so that's that's still, so 40 million is sort of hanging in the the balance of that second tranche from the feds pending how the congressional delegation, how leadership in Congress is willing to, to release those funds, it's essentially. Right, and the reason it's hanging that. in the balance is even though we allocated from the first tranche, we it's allocated and in our budget from the first tranche. However, if we don't get the second tranche, we may need to use that funding for, you know, other operational things. So I'm going to, it's it's a little bit of a, a, a dynamic, a political dynamic, but it sort of, works into this particular topic we're, we're covering right now is I noticed in the most recent Board of Supervisors meeting, the dynamic seemed to have become a whole lot less toxic there. I mean, mm-hmm. it's to the naked eye. It's not hard to see. And so I'm wondering <laughs> if the dynamic is also you could sort of extrapolate that you are getting a lot of other leadership from your board, fellow board members to get that congressional release of funds. Are they all helping you, or is this kind of a Katrina Foley solo act? Well, I think we're all using our contacts that we have. The fact of the matter is the majority of our congressional delegation are people who are actually going to vote for it. Um, our, our Republican delegates 
they voted, you know, our two congressional representatives, Michelle Steele and Young Kim, voted against it. So they're not going to help us. So I've been mostly working with Congressman Correa and um, and uh, Porter and Levin. Uh, yeah, Congressman Levin, Congressman Correa have been the most uh, helpful. Uh, we um, we have asked for a meeting with Congresswoman Porter, which we are expecting to happen in the next week or so. Um, and then I've also reached out to my friend Linda Sanchez, who's in the Congress as well. She represents La Palma, which is one city in Orange County, and I um, I had that city when I first got elected. So we've all been working together our our county team is trying to, you know, sound the alarm. And so um, Congressman Correa, I would say, has been extremely helpful, as well as Congressman Levin. They, um, you know, we're on the phone a couple times a week talking about this. Wow. So the OC, the, the Be Well OC is, uh, it's a little wobbly right now to, to further institutionalize that mental health component of of all the services that are provided in all the county agencies. And I don't want to give the wrong impression that it's wobbly. Um, it's not wobbly. Right now the budget is it's allocated $40 million for that project. We're also requesting another $10 million from the state so that we can finish the capital raise. And then there's private dollars coming in as well. The issue of the second tranche means that we have to take seriously if we're not going to receive $307 million we were expecting. That's a lot of money. That means other issues might not get, other uh, initiatives, other uh, expenses may not have a funding source that we thought they would have, and so we may have to make some adjustments. That's all a matter of time, and we won't know the impact for a couple months. And, well, and the time is, it's consequential. There are people that could be captured in a more appropriate sort of bundle of services than being incarcerated. So it's a, yes. it, it's really, there are people that are really, really hanging by some really vulnerable shards there. Um, so I, when you were talking about then some, uh, I want to get the housing fair share around all of the districts in the Orange County Board of Supervisors. So I, you mentioned in the last meeting that veterans there there's like only like 187 units for allocated. Then there's $2,500 vouchers. <laughs> That's it. I mean, they, to be dispensed to to different veterans that are qualifying, and they'll expire in September. So how how are you? I think there's a there's the sort of um, three thousand foot level is that regional share, making sure there's a an ethos, a leadership to take on every share around the the county, as well as some more significant kinds of support to get people in those homes. Well, that's right. And we're hosting a press briefing, kind of a town hall style Q&A with some significant partners that will really explain what's happening with our voucher system here in Orange County. That's on April 11th. I, include, I invite you to tune in. Thank um, you. We also, uh, actually, Congresswoman Porter has, uh, was the one that alerted me to a couple of issues that we had with the vouchers and the emergency vouchers and not 
using them. And so then I started doing some digging to find out what is going on, because I know we've been passing these vouchers out, and it was my understanding that we had more vouchers than we've ever had before in Orange County, and so there was likely a voucher for anyone who needed it. Um, now, what I've learned in the last few weeks, which is why we're doing this, this town hall and we're trying to get to the bottom of issues and, and find some solutions, is that we may have a voucher for a resident who is in need, specifically veterans, but we don't have any place for them to go because we don't have enough units from landlords willing to accept the vouchers. So if you're a landlord out there, I encourage you, I implore you to work with us to accept these vouchers. These are, um, you know, secure income, and the county has incentives for landlords. We're working on some additional incentives. I have an initiative coming forward for the board to approve some additional incentives to help our landlords be willing to accept the vouchers. Now, the other issue, in addition to there not being enough landlords willing to accept the vouchers, the other issue is that the voucher is set for a specific amount, and it's set a year prior, right? So the amount doesn't change over the year. It's one year you get the amount, let's call it $2,500, for a two-bedroom apartment. Anyone listening knows it's almost impossible to get a two-bedroom apartment in Orange County for $2,500 or even a house. I mean, it's nearly impossible. So we are working with um, the feds to try to figure out, can we have something that um, for each county is maybe, or each state maybe is a little bit more reflective of the cost of living in that state, Um, because the voucher amount is the same, whether you live in California or Iowa. So in Iowa, $2,500 two-bedroom apartment is probably more than you need, right? But not in California, certainly not in Orange County. And so those are issues we're working on. But in the meantime, the vouchers are going to expire in September. We need to come up with an immediate, uh, immediate plan for the short term while we work on the long term. And so I'm I'm always going to be looking at the kind of the lateral view. So are you getting leadership support from your fellow board members to rise to that? Oh, yeah, immediate I think everyone's urgency. concerned about this. Okay. Um, but wow. you have to understand. You asked that question, and you have to understand that the way the board works is not like a city council. We don't have items that we have to bring before the board and then vote on them at the board in order to do something in our district. The board has a lot of discretion and flexibility to work on initiatives with the department of directors, with the, um, within their district, and and regionally. And it's only when you need to allocate funds for something that you need to go before the board and get the vote of the board, which we will probably need to do in this, and then we'll find out where the support actually is. But it is my belief that as a whole, our all five of our board members are concerned about this issue. So I don't um, expect there to be any problem. It's just all about where does the money come from and how do we pay for it? But it is a fact that we're not going to be able to get landlords to participate in this program 
if we can't incentivize them. Um, there are some who are very altruistic, um, and I'm going to have them in my town hall. We have one landlord who has given 99 units. He's almost at 100 for vouchers. Um, but that's not the case across the board. And so we're trying to, to figure out what does it take, you know, landlords, if you're listening, email me, katrina.foley at ocgov.com. What can we do to incentivize you to accept vouchers so that we can get families into housing, we can get veterans into housing, and we can create some stability for Orange County? Well, when we, we know how this works, though, that vouchers, may, this is not even getting at the deposit first and last uh, rent. So how? Well, but we have a program for that. That's the other piece. Okay. We have a program specifically for veterans. We have, it's called Welcome Home. Our Assemblywoman, Cotty Petrie Norris, funded it for all 300 veterans that we had identified were experiencing homelessness. We now have 290 veterans that are experiencing homelessness. So the problem isn't about the funding. It's not the first and last month's rent is paid, plus some ancillary um, costs are paid by the Welcome Home Program for veterans, and then they get their voucher to pay the rent. But there aren't enough landlords that will accept the voucher. There's other nonprofits that are also providing, you know, United Way works tirelessly to help people experiencing homelessness find housing. We've got situations where in San Clemente, they um, cleared the, the highway and they gave everybody a voucher. But there's a woman who I have um, been contacted about who has had her voucher for several months and cannot find housing. So, We've got to fix that piece. It doesn't do any good. It's just a piece of paper if you can't find housing with it. Well, this is um, it's unimaginable kind of a urgency on the mental health provision, the housing provision. And I, I'm going to do a whole show at some point after the primary, maybe, I'm not sure when, but there's an upstream cause to this veteran homelessness I want to uh, approach because of how how some veterans are discharged and where their benefits are strictly mm-hmm. limited, creating yep. a situation. This is a Department of Defense policy that's an upstream cause of some of this. It's nothing that the it's not the purview of the county board of supervisors, but it's putting all of you in a reactive phase, which is uh, it is not it's not a good use of time and resources. So um, I just right. want to. Well- and we're, you know, we're doing everything we can. So my office, this has become a, like a priority for us, the veterans housing, veterans services. I have a veterans advisory team of, of key community leaders within the veterans community. Um, we also are working with our workforce development team at the county. We're hosting a job fair, in fact, on April 21st at the Discovery Science Center, and we have programs at the county. These are federally funded programs and state funded programs for um, paying employers the wages to hire certain types of industry types of veterans so that we can get people who come out of the service and have technical skills and get them into a good high paying job right away and not have to have that training burden on the employer. We'll pay for the training for three months. We'll pay those wages so that we can get those veterans employed. Many people don't know about this 
program. So I've been trying to amplify it. We also have employers that will be at our job fair, employers that are in the trades, in hospitality, in government, that will hire veterans. And we will be hiring people on the spot, bring your resume, bring everything you need to get a job. And we, um, we're trying to get people to work because, you know, work brings dignity. It also helps provide stability, most of all. And there's a lot of jobs right now. Employers are desperate for employees right now. So we're doing everything we can to connect employers and employees together in all different kinds of industries. So all of these uh, initiatives and, and programs, are those also the priorities that you would carry into your next term? Absolutely. Oh, yes. Are Absolutely. there any this others? This is just the beginning. I'm just getting okay. started. Uh, yeah, We're laying I, the foundation this year. Okay. Oh, you've got, I mean, it's. it was only, you were elected in March of 2021, and so that's a, one year and one month, if I count correctly. So I, I just want to wrap the whole interview with how... You you were talking about you're knocking on doors now in the run up to the primary. So how are you getting people to turn out and to vote down ticket for the June seventh primary? It's a big job. Well, you know, there's four hundred and twenty thousand voters in this new district. It's a very affluent, highly educated, and nearly every adult is a registered voter, which is very different than all the other districts, right? So um, we have a lot of work to do, but we have captains in each city that are helping us to have uh, meet and greets and house parties. We're trying to meet people where they are and meet as many people as we can at once now that we can all get back to gathering. We try to do them, you know, in people's backyards, in parks, etc. And so tonight I'm actually meeting in South County with a group of veterans, um, some veteran leaders, South County leaders and Orange County leaders in the veterans community. So I am just going everywhere I can and uh, trying to meet as many people. Also, you know, it, it's nice to be able to partner with Congressman Levin. So we've, um, you know, if there's a meet and greet that someone is hosting for him, then I tag along so I can meet the residents as well. And so we we have, if anyone wants to join our team, it's katrinafoley.com. And we are canvassing every single day out of our office. Our, our headquarters is located right in Costa Mesa and off of Bristol Street. And we're, we're canvassing every day. We have phone banks. You can come into the office or you can call from your phone on a Zoom um, uh, with others. And we have people calling in and they live all over the place. You know, volunteers that have been supporting my elections for 20 years who maybe don't live here anymore they're still helping out. Or maybe there are students that my kids knew and now they're in college, they call in. Um, so we've got a robust uh, uh, ground game. And so we will we'll just keep hitting doors. We have our literature that we pass out that tells about my initiatives, my platform, and my bio. And, um, you know, we're hitting every city. Hitting every city. This is the theme music, folks. 
So um, that I want to thank you for the time you've given us. Actually, I've learned more than I thought I would today. Not that's not a surprise. I, I'm always learning. <laughs> but on on behalf of voters, I'm also thanking you for running for elective office. I think you've been you've been in a campaign like for the last uh, four consecutive years almost. Uh, so th- three. It's been five years. Every year has been a campaign. Unfortunately, because the mayor, you know, you had to run every two years, right. and then I ran for special and so it has been um it's been a lot and when we win in june we'll get four years to just focus solely on the work and look what i've done in one year imagine what i can do focus solely on the work in four well i always thank candidates for for running for elected office it's uh, because i don't think uh, any of us really know fully what that is my guest was orange county board of supervisor katrina foley serving in the 2nd District, running for re-election in the 5th District, which includes where this radio station is here. So other candidates running are Diane Harkey, Kevin Muldoon, and Pat Bates, all of whom, as I remind people, I am extending the invitation for them to appear on the show. So thank you again, Supervisor Foley. Thank you. Appreciate your time today. We'll be right back with Brenda Lynn, and she's going to cover the Orange County Power Authority in her capacity as the Irvine Watchdog co-founder. We'll be right back. Don't go away, folks. Welcome back to the show. Returning... To the program is Branda Lynn, bringing more civic business, more updates, this time only on the Orange County Power Authority. And that is so, so much we're going to try to do in such a short time. Well, let's just say that we're going to extend everybody's radar. Only landowners, the big landowners, know how much is going on with some of the stuff that the watchdog's taking care of. Branda Lynn is the co-founder and co-chair of Irvine Watchdog, a volunteer-based website promoting transparency, honesty, and accountability from our local government. And her professional life pursuits include paralegal work currently at a firm in Santa Ana. She served on Irvine Community Service Commissioner, Irvine Children Youth Families Advisory Committee, Organizer Families Forward, and is a board member of the National Women's Political Caucus, Orange County. She generally offers her time today from her spring break at an undisclosed area. Welcome Back to Ask a Leader, Branda Lynn. Hi, Claudia. Thank you for having me back. Well, thank you. So, uh, you know, first question so that listeners can really appreciate how how this has been possible. How many hours a month, Branda, do you spend on attending City Council, Great Park, and Orange County Power Authority meetings? Gosh, it's not just me. I want to make sure that the listeners understand it's really a team effort. We have a great group of volunteers who really feel an obligation to inform our community of the decisions that are being made that really impact all of us in Irvine in particular. Um, But there are two city council meetings a month. You know, they can range from three hours to five hours to even more. Um, There's one great park board meeting a month, which could be, you know, usually around two hours. Then the OCPA, the Power Authority, meets once a month, um, and actually they're meeting today at 10 a.m. So for the listeners out there who want to just kind of keep tabs on what's going on and kind of listen in, today's an important meeting. Um, that meeting's at 10 a.m., and the agenda can be found at ocpower.org. 
um, and there's a Zoom link there as well. Then we have the four commissions, um, and then we have the Irvine Community Land Trust. So there are a lot of hours, and it's not just one volunteer. I mean, it's really spread out. We all have our own interests and um, areas of interest and topics that we follow. So it's really a combined team effort. And, you know, if it's not our full-time jobs or our families or our other obligations, it's pretty much watchdog. <laughs> right. Um, so. so I'm going to remind people that the Orange County Power Authority, it's a joint powers agreement. It's a part, it's come out of the Community Choice Energy Plan that Irvine, Huntington Beach, Fullerton, and Buena Park and the County of Orange are some unincorporated parts of uh, that are represented in this. So it's April 5th. April 1st was the rollout of the Orange County Power Authority for commercial slash institutional accounts. A review, please, of that the cities have signed on to this community choice program. The website, it's a glossy, not, a, I wouldn't say a very substantive uh, kind of an agency, a PR agency production. Little is said about the way that the Joint Powers Agreement has been operating. Can you give us and an insight, Brenda Lynn, about where we are at April 5th, the extent to which the business ratepayers for electric utilities, how much they've been briefed on what the Orange County Power Authority has decided for them and how can they understand those two different kinds of rates, the 100% renewable rate versus the smart choice rate, and where are they trending with what they're enrolling in? It's a big, big financial deal. Yes, well, there were three tiers that each of the participating cities could choose from, and Irvine, Huntington Beach, and Buena Park chose the 100% renewable tier as their default option. And so depending on the size of the business, it can range from 6.2% to a 7.3% increase, higher than SoCal Edison's rate. The city of Fullerton chose the smart choice, which is uh, 69% renewable rate. Um, it's a little cheaper, but it's still higher than SoCal Edison's rate. Now, thankfully, um, the Voice of OC did an article about the rollout for the commercial customers. And this was a concern that a lot of the Irvine Watchdog volunteers had brought up and were questioning, as well as, well as actually uh, Council Member Larry Agron. Um, you know, at the one presentation um, that the Orange County Power Authority made to the city council where, where they, it wasn't a really a presentation. It was the meeting where the, our Irvine City Council chose their default option, which is where they chose the 100% renewable tier. Um, and there are questions about what's this rollout going to look like, how many times are the commercial customers going to be notified. And at that meeting, they mentioned that commercial customers would be notified at least four times. And they actually specified two specific dates where a postcards or a mailer would be going out. Well, that does not turn out to be what happened at all. And, you know, Irvine Watchdog, just in our social media group, we did an informal survey. But, you know, the Voice of OC also reached out to uh, commercial customers in the participating cities. And it looks like several of the customers were not notified at all not even once, that they would be automatically opted in to the higher rate um, Orange County Power Authority. And, you know, that there's a legal requirement to notify businesses. And, you know, I mean, it, we have time for residential customers, and hopefully uh, the residential customers that are paying attention before our launch, which will be October 1st, are paying attention. And so if, you know, the 
added costs are too much, they will have an opportunity to opt out. And the Orange County Power Authority did say that, you know, residential customers can opt out starting um, around August um, and September. But there is a serious concern um, with the fact that several commercial businesses and, you know, the Irvine Ranch Water District, which spends over $20 million on electricity a year, they, you know, they didn't get enough information. They had um, communications with, with the OCPA, but not enough details. And, you know, this, the question of how much renewable, what type of renewable, is it indeed renewable? These questions were brought up also at the Green Ribbon Committee meeting. Um, there are several UCI professors who sit as board members or members of that committee, and they had asked at their last meeting questions regarding the details, but there are no details to be found. And uh, board member Khan, mayor, who's also our mayor, Mayor Farrah Khan, sits on the Green Ribbon Committee as well. And she, as a representative of the OCPA, she did not have those details and encouraged you know, anybody who does have a question to perhaps to email her so that she can address the OCPA board herself um, in get, getting those answered. But, you know, there's just been a lack of transparency, a lack of disclosure. We still don't know exactly what the rates are going to look like. They are not on the ocpower.org website. Um, climate activists have been asking, Irvine Watchdog volunteers have been asking. And, you know, if you compare the OCPA's launch with other CCAs in Southern California, the lack of disclosure is, is, is a red flag, is very concerning. And, you know, I want to make it clear that people want, including myself, we wanted this OCPA to succeed. It was sold to us as going to be cheaper, it was going to be cleaner, and it was going to be for the community. And that's not what we've been seeing. And a lot of the criticism that has been coming from the community is not because they wanted it to fail. I don't think anybody wants the OCPA to fail because ultimately it may end up costing urban residents in the long run like it has in Riverside, where their community choice energy program failed, and now they're seeing a premium or an increase um, on their electricity bill for years to come to help pay for uh, the loss of funds that they spent. So, But we want the OCPA to succeed, and in order to do so, you need qualified members on that board. And there was a lot of questions regarding the CEO's appointment, closed-door appointment. Um, I still have not received documents in response to my public records request asking for how many candidates were reviewed for the, or considered for the CEO position. I didn't even ask for names. I just wanted a number because, you know, in other Voice of OC articles, uh, board member Fred Jung had mentioned that there weren't very many to choose from. So I was curious, how many and were they qualified? And the fact that Brian Kowalski is a political insider whose brother runs um, a He's a pollster, he's a political consultant who is known to be working with lobbyists that influence decisions in Irvine. Um, and, and we have we have talked about that. I wanted because I've got we don't have much time. We know we've got that covered that there is a question about, you know, the kind of capacity that he's bringing. and i I want to direct all listeners. I want everybody to take a look at the Orange County Power Authority. March 1st meeting, the first meeting convened since January 1st, and it is one shell game of a meeting. You really don't, you just have a sort of everybody just kind of buzzing through with what's the budget look like, not how things are operationalized. And there are, uh, there's 
the public is squeezed in responding rapidly to in the public comment periods. It's just the most bizarre kind of a a forum I could imagine. And then the the next business meeting will be today after our. Uh, it'll be at ten o'clock today for people to listen in on. So. So and it was a and you knew something was getting more unseemly when the marketing and the communications people were t and I mean it's just like it's it's surreal the the names kind of like give you a sense of where we're going with all this so they're the ones that were showing the most glee but the others there weren't that many questions they sort of like blazed through the budget and blazed through a very shell of an outline so that's a concern so and I know you were there we heard you were question would you raise you know some of these public uh, releases of information so um so you were talking about this differential is there any way you can get a handle on like the rate difference between what we currently are paying to southern california edison and what would become the so-called 100 percent renewable rate is there any way because the website does not give us any kind of an idea of how much this has to be budgeted on the the residential level correct um well, when they did the presentation for the city council, they did have some PowerPoint slides, and there is an article on IrvineWatchdog.org. It's like, I believe, the third one down that talks about, and I, I put in copies of the actual slides, um, and, and it depends on the size of the business. So if you're a large commercial customer, you'll be seeing a 7.3 increase. If you're a medium commercial customer, um, medium-sized, you'll be seeing a 7.2 increase from SoCal Edison's rates. And for small commercial customers, they'll be seeing a 6.2 increase from Southern California Edison's rates. And for residents, um, you know, depending on the choice, and businesses can always opt down. If, if the rate is too high, but you want to stick with the Orange County Power Authority, you can opt down from the 100% renewable tier. That's just the default Irvine chose for all Irvine businesses and Irvine residents. So the problem is that by opting into the or by staying with the default there is no transparency to understand whether that 100% renewable rate is actually bringing our greenhouse gas emission footprint down there's no way of knowing that correct and the, that question has been asked several times and we, we're still not seeing any details as to where they are getting this energy and what type of energy it, it is and unless you go with a basic choice on all um depending, you know, no matter what your size, as long as if you don't go with a basic choice, and that's, you know, supposed to be on par with Edison, you're going to be seeing a higher rate. So we aren't going to have as much time as I was hoping, and because so much we're trying to cover today. And for those of you just joined us, Brandon Lins, co-founder, co-chair of Irvine Watchdog, nonprofit organization. We're looking at transparency of, in this case, the Orange County Power Authority, this joint powers agreement that's going to be the distributor of our electric utility. So there was one person that commented at the end of the March 1st meeting that said, hey, you, hey, board members, you've got to keep a look on social media. They're shredding your your reputation. They're saying that this is an added layer of bureaucracy and few are going to be able to take some money and run and let the rest collapse. Well, I thought that person that was saying there's rumors about that, well, that was probably a pretty close characterization of the perils of where Orange County Power Authority is heading, though, isn't it? That's what it's looking like. Um, it's not looking good at all. Even the fact that they've launched all these businesses into the Orange, automatically opted them in, and we still don't have the details, even though it's been asked numerous times of community members and the business community it's themselves, there are a lot of red flags. 
definitely a lot of red flags. And unless we start getting answers soon, I, I think this is going to give more reason for residents when it comes time for us to automatically opt in to, or Attorney Power Authority to opt out. So it's also hazarding to be moved with the lines of credit that are being capitalized for how this whole Orange County Power Authority is being managed and, and run is that it could take our oversight of our utility away from the California Utilities Commission to it's going to be a financially owned, a, a financial portfolio that this whole distribution is owned under. Correct. So that's, um, we're losing more oversight and we're not getting any transparency with the initial sort of ground rules. Right. Wow. And, the you know, public records requests out of numerous uh, out there that have still not been responded to, including, you know, questions from our Irvine city manager and council member Larry Agran, which have gone unanswered. You know, these just, it, it's not a good look for the power authority. Well, there is so much happening over uh, locally all the way up internationally. So we're we're really asking for people to take note and and that streaming this meeting at 10 a.m. today is not is also another structural kind of deterrent to availing people of transparency. So it's a real concern. And we are all ratepayers. Everybody is. So, uh, Brenda, I know you have more to tell us. Let's just get you back after the spring break, sometime even still during the primary season, and we can talk about more of where this Orange County Power Authority is going, okay? Absolutely. would love to. Okay. Thank you so much. My guest was Brenda Lynn. She's a co-founder and co chair for the Orange County Power Authority and we are going to keep covering the Orange County primary races uh, next week and beyond all the way through June 7th. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening everyone.